let's go ahead and jump in. This is week two. We are on, on uh, the new series, Faith and Practice. Faith and Practice. Now, in this whole thing, uh, we can kind of take a step back this week. Uh, I kind of jumped right into to talking about death last week. Who um, <laughs> had lots of fun and left just very encouraged last week. We talked about dust, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. We're all going to die. What's it matter? Yeah. Ecclesiastes, it was, it, it was a blast. Everyone was just like cheering and, and clapping and tambourines. <laughs> and guys were on fire. And I was actually pretty quiet. But um, I want to take a step back real quick and just kind of explain what this series is about. Um, faith and practice, it, it, how do I say this? We are jumping into this season of Lent here. And uh, for us at Grace Church, it's the first time for us to be in Lent, to participate in Lent. And that, how do I explain this? We haven't participated in things like that for one strong reason. We were all taught that the Spirit is good, but religion is bad. Who was taught that religion is good? One. Amen. Two. Three. Okay, five. Oh, okay. <laughs> five people, okay? That's a really small number. Goodness gracious. Most of us were taught in churches that we went to that we need to learn how to get a personal relationship with God and how to allow everything to flow from that and how in religion, it's all these empty things that we do, these rituals that we do. We, you know, uh, in religion, it's all about these actions and all about, you know, the, the do's and don'ts. But what we would be taught to focus on is not the do's and don'ts, but again, having connection to God. Now, there is a lot of truth in this, but we've lost something along the way. And what comes into it is this. How can we be expected to be people who live according to God, to be people who live, if you would, in the kingdom when Monday through Saturday we have to live in the what? The world. How can we be expected to operate as these godly people who were countercultural, if you would? We live, act, and think in a way that's different from everything around us. How can we be expected to do that when the majority of our life is spent in this, this other culture, this other world with people who speak a different language, who focus on different priorities. How can we go against the current? Um, who likes to fish here? Okay. Um, trout fishing has always been something that just kind of looks beautiful, right? The guys out there with the, you know, fly fishing, right? Shh. <laughs> just let it go. It's spring forward Sunday, okay? We've all lost an hour's sleep. Let's have some grace. Fly fishing. As you can tell, I don't do it, but it looks pretty on the movies, okay? It just looks beautiful, right? You know, they're out there, and it's just, oh, it's just this motion. Oh, it's gorgeous. Anyways, one of the things that they do a lot is they get in the streams, okay? And so when you see them, they got the waders, and they're, they're going up the stream. What happens is you get tired going against the current. There's something about going against current 
that just doesn't feel natural. It just makes so much more sense to kind of lean back and go with it. Um, okay, how about this? Who's gone tubing? Yeah, okay. See those people, you know, they're kind of floating down the river, and, and of course they have like six tubes, and they've got something in the center of their six tubes, and they're just going. It's a, it's a good time. Okay, now you know what we're talking about. Fly fishing, no. We have no idea what you're talking about. Tubing, mm. It's much easier to go tubing, okay, than it would be to go fly fishing. It's much easier to just kind of just let go and be carried with the current. The problem for us is to be followers of Jesus means that our entire life is spent going against the current, against the grain. And it means that there's opposition. It means that there's friction. It means that it takes energy, and it's draining, and it's hard. And so the problem that all of us have had is how do we go from this amazing church service, because every Sunday is amazing, that, you know, that message that was just, just got me right where I needed it. Okay. How do we go from Sunday mornings, you know, from those spiritual highs and survive the week? Because really, the best of us, that's all we can do is just survive, just coast until we can get a lull, a break. And so what happens is this, is that we all go through these, these seasons, these highs and lows. And what happens is when we get these breaks in life, it's a conference, it's a retreat, it's just a special week or, or whatever, we have these moments where we're pulled from the current and we get these encounters with God and we're just so ready. And then we get put back into the current and it's only a matter of time before we just get worn down. And so we're constantly fighting this issue. We cannot fight against this. How do we do this? How does Jesus expect us to be these, these followers of him when everything around us pushes us the other way? Now, religion was the answer to this. For the Jews, the idea was this. It was, if we can make Monday through Sunday a world where we are reminded and if you would, if we could create a week, a culture, a world where the current isn't going against God, but it's going with God. What if everything that I ate, everything that I wore, everything that I did, every action, what if, what if everything around me was encouraging me to follow God? What if I wasn't having to fight everything every day? What if I created a world, I choose to step into a world where everything in my life pushed me Towards God. You're still, um, who had the WWJD bracelets? Anybody? Oh, those are so cute, aren't they? <laughs> what would Jesus do? <laughs> oh, yeah. Hmm. Okay. That didn't last, did it? <laughs> did that last? Okay. But the cool thing about the whole idea was what? You know, to have something on you that when you would see it, it would reset you, right? Oh, my kid just spilled this in my car. I'm about to whoop. What would Jesus do? <laughs> right? He would hug the child and, you know, <laughs> you get it. So all of Jewish culture was designed this way to where, to where everything that they would look at, everything they would smell, everything that they would taste, everything around them would pull them from this world and would pull them to that world. Does that make sense for you? And so the first church, because they were Jewish, the first church took this same idea and, and, and translated it to this new set of understandings. 
And the idea was we need something that's going to constantly pull us from this world over to that world. And so what they created was these different practices, these ceremonies, these things that we would do that would just take us from here to up there. And so there's things like Eucharist, like communion, right? It's, it's not about this invisible spiritual idea or emotion. It's about things that we can touch and taste and smell. It's about things in this world taking us that way. This idea of church, of gathering together three to four times a week so that we would, again, allow this to be something that reminds me. When I go to work and my boss is flipping out and I'm stressed and I've got bills at home, that I would have a place to go that would remind me. The Catholic um, churches were built with these huge ceilings, which we kind of have one here, right? And the idea was every time that they would walk in the building, that they would be reminded of how small they are. Stained glass and murals would surround the church. So every time that people who could not read the Bible would walk into these, uh, into these churches, that they would be immersed in the Scriptures, that they would just have to look around to be drawn into the Scriptures. And so there was a long series of religious things that they developed. And for us, we learned the bad side of that, that if you only have these actions and you don't have the meat of it, if you don't have the relationship, if you're not connecting with God, these actions can become empty. But what we didn't realize was if you leave religion, and if you cleave to just, if you would, the spirit or to the relationship with Jesus or to the scriptures or whatever it is that you would cleave to, that it would create a strong heat, but only last for a while. Picture this. Um, who's been to Cracker Barrel? You live in Alma, okay. Or around Alma, okay. Uh, it has those lanterns, right, which are never on. Okay, but yeah, but like they just sit there, right? They're like built into the table, right? You've seen that? Okay. It's like this. Spirituality, if you would, is like the flame of the candle, okay? But religion, having these practices, creating an environment, it's the, uh-oh, what's the word that goes around it? What's that called? A globe. I'm learning many things today. <laughs> Fly fishing, note, globe. That just doesn't compute. I don't know why. It, yes, I believe you. The globe, it is what protects the flame from the wind. Does that make sense? It's what keeps the flame from going out. It's the way that we stay engaged. The globe by itself, that's going to mess me all morning. The globe by itself, the practices by themselves are not able to sustain the flame alone, but it's their job to protect it. And so most of us have grown up in churches and, and in a form of Christianity that's very good at getting the flame going, but we have no idea how to keep it strong. And so the entire spiritual life that we've had is just ups and downs and highs and lows. And so it's created people and followers of Jesus who only know God by experience. 
There's only times, if you would, the times when we felt God was the most real was the times when those emotions, when that experience was fresh. But when we walk away from that moment, from that lighter, if you would, all of a sudden it doesn't take much to blow it out. So this entire series, if you would, is about taking the faith, about taking the individual personal connection to God and connecting it to religion, to the practices, to the environment that we have to foster to protect what starts when we come and encounter God face to face. This is what the series is about. This is why I'm having us as Grace Church go into Lent for the first time. Um, who has their Lent guide with them if you guys have it? I don't have it. Perfect. Okay. The prayer. Have you guys seen this prayer? Would you pray this just naturally? Oh God, whose glory is always to have mercy. Be gracious. No? Okay, great. I don't, I don't want this to feel familiar. The goal is not for this to go, oh, this prayer, oh yeah, that, that just, you know, it just flows right off the tongue, you know. We are saying prayers that have been said for hundreds of years. We are connecting to a faith that is older than we are. We are reminding ourselves that we are a part of the, the church, which is not limited to, if you would, those alive on the earth. We are a part of something bigger than what we can see. And we must connect ourselves into this thing. We have to, to find a way to root our faith beyond our own personal experiences. There has to be more structure, more safety, more strength to this thing that we're doing. And, and again, uh, as we go through this series, that's the one thing I want everyone to keep in mind. Make sense? Clear as mud? Got it? Matthew, I love you. I want you in the prayer line this week. I'm going to lay hands on you, brother. Here's a line if you guys are taking notes about this, about this series. We are a part of a faith that must be practiced to be fully learned. We are all a part of a faith that must be practiced to be fully learned. It does not matter how many verses you read, sermons you hear, services that you attend, you will not be able to fully learn, if you would, to fully step into following Christ if all that you have is intake. This must be a practiced faith. And what religious things are, what Eucharist and foot washing and, and Lent, what these are, these are a safe place to practice. It's, it's, it's small, safe steps for you to learn how to take the bigger steps out in your life, in your home, in your workplace. All right. Now, for this week, one of the religious practices that um, I want to talk about, one of the things that we have to learn to include into our rhythm of life is something called solitude. Who's ever heard of solitude? Superman had his fortress of... There you go. See, now it's locked in there, isn't it? Okay? I could read a Bible verse to you, and you'd be like, oh, it's great. But I say, Superman, it's in there for a long time. Now, what is solitude? I mean, what do you guys think about when you hear solitude? I think for myself, I think about monks. You know, these, these people who physically isolate themselves, if you would, from the world. They, they pull back 
from the world. And the entire intent is that by pulling away that they would draw into God. Um, Solitude is not just a physical practice. Solitude is not just, uh, if you would, going out to a cabin in the woods for a week, okay? Uh, um, It's not just heading to a shack in the middle of nowhere. Do what? Fly fishing, yes. Fly fishing, not trout fishing. Um, Solitude is this. Solitude is withdrawal. It's withdrawal. It's pulling back from others to be present with God and be present with ourselves. Now, think about this for a moment. We're not talking about isolation. We're not talking about loneliness. What we're talking about is not running away from everything. The idea is that we are pulling back to something. Does that make sense? Um, When I date my wife, I'm not running from the world. I am stepping back away from everything else to be present with someone else. Does that make sense? When you think solitude, you instantly think of being what? Alone, right? But solitude is the opposite. It's not about being alone. Solitude is about being present with God. One of the hardest things for you to learn as a Christian is this. You are not to, how do I say this? It's not your job to chase God down. He's not running from you. It's not your job to to wrestle him down, to please him, to do tricks for him, to be perfect for him. Your job is to be present with him. Okay? In this day and age, presence is one of the most rare things you can find. Uh, I wish people were a lot more present when they're driving, by the way. Yes, amen. I was at a stop sign sitting there, and, and uh, the guy on the other side of the four-way, he, he's sitting there with his head down. And I just, for fun, I figured, I'm just going to wait and see how long this takes. I'm not kidding. At the four-way, two minutes later, he sees me. That's amazing. Presence is rare. Uh, parents, how hard is it to be present with your kids? Even when you want to be, right? I mean, even when you're like, I'm going to spend time with my kids, right? And then, of course, like the, you know, your phone rings, you get a text, or you think, oh, no, I forgot this at work, or, or you're just tired, which that happens too if you have young kids, okay? Presence is one of the most rare things that we find, and solitude is all about this idea, about pulling back so that I can be present, okay? Um, I can be present to a certain extent with my wife at home with the kids all around us screaming, going nuts, okay? But there is another extent of presence I can be when we're alone at the restaurant talking with the phones locked in the car, right? That's a very hard one. But... There is a form of presence that you will only get with God when you pull away from everything else. And this morning, we need to, if you would, to visit this idea of the importance of us putting this thing into our life. This is a, a practice. Um, who has just had the Holy Spirit just, just around me go, it's time for solitude? 
Anyone? Okay. That doesn't happen most of the time. Okay, a few of you on your own will go, I need to withdraw to be with Jesus today. A few of you will do that. Now, you might scream and run and, and, and hide from your kids and put the game on, whatever. That's not the same thing, okay? Solitude is something that, that we have to be intentional about. When I say practice, I mean these are things I want us to learn to, to insert into the calendar. The church calendar is something that, uh, if you're brand new to grace, that you've been learning a little bit about. You know, we, we do Advent, we do Lent, we do, you know, Easter really big, and, and uh, we have all these holy seasons, you know, we, Pentecost and all these things. And, you know, I was taught for so long that, you know, these, these things are bad because they're just things you do. It's just days on the calendar. What you need to do is get with the Holy Spirit and, and the Scriptures and What's so beautiful about the church calendar is that it, 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 it forces you to be intentional. It reminds you when you would forget. It, it's this way, if you would, of, of making room in your life to where there's a reminder every single year of these things. And so it gets you into a, a rhythm. Um, okay. You all went to school, correct? Okay, I, I won't assume that. Okay. Um, whenever I was in school, I didn't like school, but I did like one thing. I loved the school calendar. I loved the idea of having a good sense on the year. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Okay, so the year was like this. It went summer break, right? Winter break, spring break, summer break. Repeat, right? And so you always knew, like, where you were. Okay, we're almost to winter break. We're almost to spring. And so you always had this rhythm. And so I really considered being a teacher um, or like a coach because I wanted that rhythm. It's amazing how quickly time flies when you have no rhythm to your life. Do you understand what I'm saying? Oh, it's, it's what? It's It's April? Oh, uh, you know, um, my child's walking now? Oh, my goodness. When did that happen? It's, it's amazing how quickly things just slip through your fingers when you don't have any kind of a grip on your life. When you're just kind of going with the current and there's no control, there's no handle on time. And so, again, in all these things, in solitude, these are things that you have to learn to insert into your life. So, okay, I don't have to be uber spiritual about it anymore. Rabbit trail, but I want this one. Who here has ever felt pressure to be spontaneous so that it's spiritual? <laughs> you didn't grow up in the churches I grew up in. Okay. For example, the first time I ever did a series okay, like planned out my sermons, you should have saw the faces. So you're saying the Holy Spirit's not going to talk to you next week right before the Sunday and tell you exactly what to say? Okay, you guys didn't grow up in those churches. Okay, fine. It's my own torment. I will like avoid things if I feel like it's too planned. Like somehow if it's planned, it's just bad. Anybody? Okay, there's all sorts of analogies I want to use in marriage about this, but I won't. <laughs> I won't go there. We'll just leave it to you. Okay. 
planned is good. It can be good. Okay? And <laughs> there's something in life, especially as we get busier, where if we don't plan, if we're not intentional, if we don't put a hedge around things that are important in our life, they will be overwhelmed. One of the hardest things for us to do was to have a date night because I've got so many appointments and I've got so many meetings and counseling sessions and, oh, yeah, we're doing this class. I've got to teach this one and, and, oh, this and, oh, that. And my schedule was just so crazy and chaotic. And the amazing thing is with every child which I've had, it's forced me to put more structure on my life to put hedges and say, you know what, I don't care what's happening. I'm not doing anything on this night. This night is set apart. It's not for anyone else. Have you ever heard of that idea before? On the seventh day, and this day you shall do nothing. Yes? We call it Sabbath. Protecting, setting things apart, putting a fence around something and saying no more. Solitude is a way of doing this. We pull back and say, you matter and you matter and this matters and job matters and all this matters, but every month, every three months, whatever, I need time to pull back. Once a year, twice a year, whatever. I need time to step back from things and I have to reconnect with the thing that matters most in my life. Here's what happens. We outwardly, okay, meaning as far as our actions, we pull away outwardly. We seclude ourselves in order to do this. So, so we pull back outwardly so that we can cultivate inner sanctuaries for God. And here's the point. And we do this so that whether alone or in a crowd, we are present with God. There's a lot of words in there. I want to break it down a little bit more. I withdraw from work, from my family, from the church, even from my kids. I withdraw. I, I step back into solitude with my wife at least once a week. We take trips at least three times a year specifically so that when we are in life, when we're at home, when we're at church, when we're going through the bills, so that when we are in this current, I'm still connected. Does that make sense? It's not that I'm only ever connected to God when I am in solitude. The idea is that I get into solitude, I pull back so that my connection is strong enough to when I step back into the current, I'm still connected. It's possible to have a date night with the kids. Yes. Yes. It's possible to, you know, to be connected to your spouse when your kids are going nuts. It's possible to be connected during bills and fights and problems and strife. Yes, it's possible. But it's not often. <laughs> not likely. If your connection is not strong outside of those situations... When you get inside of them, what do you think is going to happen? And so we have, so we as Christians, we have these, these fragile little flames, these, these, these weak connections to God. 
in the moment that we get hit by bills, by work, we lose our job, there's strife in the marriage, there's strife with the kids, it just gets swept away. Solitude is stepping out and protecting that connection before the current gets so strong that it washes it away. And so solitude is not only an outward thing. The idea is that we outwardly pull back. And again, it, it can be a retreat into the woods. It, you know, it can be fly fishing. Um, it can be hiking, journaling, worshiping, thinking, whatever it is. It can be all these different things. The idea is that whatever extent you do outwardly, the goal of solitude is that inwardly, when you're at work, when you're at home, when you're in the world, when the current is on you, the goal is that you would have inner solitude. Does that make any sense? God is not waiting for you at the shack or in the woods or on the hill or in the car. He's, not, he, he's right here. The, goal is just, the problem is that you just can't feel him. You can't hear him. You have no connection. And so you have to pull back so that you can be connected so that when you step back in, you are connected. I'm feeling that spring forward right now. I'm feeling that right now. It's okay. All right. Let's read a quote. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Who knows about Dietrich Bonhoeffer? Anybody? An awesome, awesome man who Hitler, you know, had executed. Uh, one, of the, one of the few Christian voices who stood up when the German church uh, refused to step up to stop the, the Nazi movement. He's one of the few pastors who stood up and said, this is against the will of God. And of course, he was, he was murdered for it. Um, here's his quote. He says, let him who cannot be alone beware of community. Let him who is not in community beware of being alone. Each by itself has profound pitfalls and perils. One who wants fellowship without solitude, plunges into the void of words and feelings. The one who seeks solitude without fellowship perishes into the abyss of vanity, self-infatuation, and despair. Let me update those words a little bit. I used to love solitude. I spend three or four hours every day alone with my holy books and my prayer time and my fasting, and I was a good Christian. I was also very proud of that. I was also very assured that I was a better Christian than you were. I was very self-infatuated, as he would say. <laughs> One of the dangers of solitude when you don't have community, when you're not connected, meaning if it's just a personality thing. Who here prefers to not be in crowds? Okay. Who here prefers to be in crowds and social? You guys are weird. Oh, come on. You guys are social. Raise your hands. Don't, don't be... There's a lot more, and there's some over here I know, and you guys just aren't even raising your hand. Okay. There are people who just aren't people persons. You would be shocked. That's me. This takes all my energy, and then I go hide at home. Um, I have no problem with solitude. That's not my struggle. God, I will pull back with you. Oh, Lord, you're leading me to pull back from those counseling sessions. Okay. No problem. My struggle is not solitude. My struggle is fellowship. It takes more out of me to sit down and hang out and to be normal and not be weird than anything else, okay? Or to just let you be weird, honestly. It's not me who's weird. It's... 
And then for others, the fellowship is the place where you get your energy. Okay, when you're around people, um, my son Liam is like this. He could be sitting down, absolutely just calm, um, just relaxing. If any other person walks in the room, he jumps off the couch and starts running and screaming. <laughs> that child needs solitude. Okay, but he just, he just, he, he feeds off of it, Jason. He feeds off of people and interaction and talking and just, he feeds off of it. My, Jude, on the other hand, Liam's running around screaming and he goes, Dad, so can I go in my room and play by myself? <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I feel you. That kid's crazy. <laughs> and so understand, as we pursue solitude, we have to have balance in this as well, okay? Uh, but the odds are this. We all need solitude and we all need fellowship, but if you are more comfortable in this, if you are uncomfortable when you begin to step into isolation, and I don't want to use that, into solitude, into being alone with God, it's very important that you are intentional about it. Plan it. Schedule it. Uh, and again, it doesn't have to be a big time, you know, you're going out in the woods for a week. You know, it, it can be scheduling solitude into your everyday. Take your first 10 minutes of your lunch break and just, you know, sit in your car. It's going to feel awkward for probably nine minutes of it, okay? But just sit there and just allow all the emotions and just to, to wash out. There's something, you know, we'll talk more about it. And then, of course, you guys, uh, if it's natural for you to get into solitude, you love being alone, you need to plan to be in fellowship, okay? Go out to eat, uh, to eat with people. Come to church. Go to small group. That's the worst thing for us, right? small group. It's just 12 people. We have to talk. Everyone's looking at us. It's weird. <laughs> I get it. Now, solitude is not isolation. Okay? Solitude is not isolation. Here's what isolation is. Isolation is not chosen, but forced. Okay? Typically, it's pain that pushes us away from people. Okay? Isolation is when circumstances, things we cannot control, begin to separate us and push us away from the people who we need, okay? You'll notice when you lose someone, when you go through pain or disappointment, your reaction will be to slowly begin to shut down and pull back, okay? That's not solitude. That's isolation. That's one of the primary ways that the enemy begins to attack us in our lives. The first thing is he wants to separate us. And so it's forced upon us. Isolation is forced. And it's a place of loneliness, loss, and a loss specifically of identity. Meaning it's a place, when you are in isolation, you don't have a solid grip on who you are. Because something has affected you so deeply that you're not sure what's, what's up and what's down. And typically, if you are losing a grip on your life, a, a grip on what matters to you, a grip on who you are, that means you're also losing a grip on who you think God is. And pain has a way of doing that. Now, solitude is different. Solitude is the choice to step back from others. Again, it's not forced. We choose, we step into this, okay? We choose to step, step back from others to step into relationship with God. So again, it's not just that we're pulling away. Isolation, you're just pulling away. With solitude, I'm stepping from you to God. 
okay? And in this place, it's a place of presence. It's not about loneliness. Again, it's not about being alone, just you and your thoughts. It's about being fully more present with someone else, specifically with God. And it's a place of formation, meaning when you're in isolation, you will find yourself having things that you used to think were solid be stripped away from you. It's a place of uncertainty, of, of just, again, just everything that you care about is being shaken when you're in isolation. When you're in solitude, you are, if this makes sense, you're finding out what you can put weight on. Does that make any sense to you at all? Uh, it's almost like an earthquake in isolation. You're just, you're not sure what is going to last. In solitude, you're testing things. Does that make any sense? You're saying, okay, is this, is this strong enough? Can I put weight on this? Now, in the Scriptures, we see all sorts of examples of this. Understand, in, uh, in the Scriptures, there are themes that, that kind of run through the Bible. And uh, there is one major theme uh, in the Scriptures that we see. And uh, it's of Egypt and Sinai. Okay, uh, I'll explain it as fast as I can. Egypt, of course, is a place that uh, the Israelites were, were sent to because of the disobedience. It's, a, it's an image of slavery, of bondage, of pain, of death. It is the, it's the ultimate image in the scriptures of Satan, sin, death. It is the place that we do not want to be. It's the place that apart from God, we end up in Egypt, in bondage. Uh, we are bound, okay? And the Exodus, okay, it takes us to this place called Mount Sinai. Sinai is a place where we see God shows up on the mountain with fire and smoke. Do you guys remember that? And he speaks from the fire and the smoke, and he scares the death out of all the Israelites. And they go, we don't want to go up there, Moses, you go speak for us. Remember? Okay. These are two big symbols. And we have to understand that uh, we see this in the life of David and Jesus and Moses. Uh, with David, you see, you see isolation, meaning Egypt. You see a picture with David where he starts his story in the fields. Okay? Did David choose to go out into the fields by himself as a child? No. Okay? His dad was like, there you go. Okay? He's out there, right? But then we also see the picture of solitude. Okay? Again, we see isolation in the fields. And then with David, we see this man who, again, we see him in the temple. He goes behind the curtain. And it's odd that we don't have any explanation for why he's allowed to go these places that would kill any other man. But we see when, he, in, when he's young in his formation years, he's pushed away from everyone and everything. But in, in solitude, when he's hurting and has pain, he runs to God, pulls back and runs to God. We see pictures with Jesus himself. We see uh, the pictures with him with the desert. That's the big image, if you would, of, of the, the wilderness that the Israelites went through. In the scriptures, you see a picture from Egypt to Sinai, <clears throat> from, from captivity and bondage to the promise of God. There is what? The desert. There's wilderness. This place of wilderness is, is the place of solitude. This, we just went through a lot of theology. Let me bring it down because that's a whole bunch of junk. It's important, but, but junk. Pretty junk. From pain to promise, there's always a time of wandering, meaning a time of having to find your way, okay? You might not know this yet, 
But if you haven't been through this time yet, you will. It's a time where you're just not sure of what to lean on, of what to trust, of what's real, what's up, what's down. And that's that place from pain to the place of promise where God comes through and you begin to learn that you can trust again. But solitude is this place where we have a safe place to just vent, to question, to wonder, to, to be frustrated. Um, we open the, the morning with Psalm 32. And I just love this verse. It starts out with him talking about, he says, uh, you know, who can be forgiven? Uh, it's the one uh, who, who doesn't go against God. And then, he, and then in verse 3, he said, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. You oppressed me. I just love that. I love the honesty. And again, I mean, is it God pressing him? We don't know. But that's what it feels like to him. And he says this. He says, then I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. I love the wording here. And he goes on. He says that uh, he confesses these things. And again, don't think about this and him saying, I'm sorry. Think about it like this. There are things that he is shielding. He is hiding from God. And in this place of, of, of if you would, face-to-faceness, when you think solitude, think face-to-face. In this place of face-to-faceness with God, he finally lays it on the table. He says, yes, I did this, but you've been oppressing me. You've been against me. You've been holding me down, and I'm angry about it. And he says, whenever he was able, when he stopped hiding these things, What's crazy about this? When he stopped hiding from God, look what happens in verse 7. When he stops hiding, now he says this, now you are my hiding place. Okay. Solitude is a place that we go, if you would. It's a place we hide away from everything else so that we stop hiding from God. Does that connect a little bit for you? It's the thing that we have to do to evaluate. It's, it is a lot easier to, how do I say this nicely, to put on a front in a crowd, correct? It's much easier if you guys think I'm a nice guy when I'm on the stage, right? <laughs> if it's just you and I sitting down face to face for three hours, we'll just say that. Awkward, right? You're thinking, ooh, man, we can't talk about church that long. You have to get past sports talk. You have to get past, oh, church was great. You have to get past all these things, and you have to get down to, okay, what's going on inside of you? Who are you? What's taking place in you? What are you thinking? What are you feeling? And you can, face-to-face pulls it out of you. And so what happens for us, life this current of work and busyness and, and I'm doing this and I'm going here and the kids got this and I have to be here and just this hustle and muscle, it keeps us in a crowd with God. Does that make any sense to you? It keeps us in a situation where we can keep God just far enough that when we step alone with God, we cannot hide any longer. Um, if you're married... When there is a problem in the marriage, when there is something that is eating at you, that is, 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 is frustrating, it's hard to be alone. 
Dates are not so fun anymore. It's just eating. It's just driving here. It's just a movie. It's just going on a trip. There's nothing there because you're having to... It's hard work to hide from someone when you're alone with them. Does that make sense? It's much harder. And so if there's something wrong in your marriage, being alone with that person becomes a chore. It's work. Some of you guys are going, oh no, that's not good. For some of us, it's, it's easier to be in service, to be worshiping with people, to be listening to a sermon together. To be alone with God is uncomfortable. And the reason for that is, 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 is very simple. We're hiding things. We're hiding things. And we all do it. And, it, and most of the time, it's not intentional. Even in your marriages, sometimes there's things that are building that you're not even aware of. And you're in the car, and you're driving, and there's just nothing to talk about. So what was your day like? It was good. What was your day like? It was good. Right? And so solitude is this, this place with God where we step aside intentionally to be like, okay, where are we? And I promise you, if you haven't been alone with God in a long time, it's going to be awkward. When we first started doing date nights, um, uh, Nisa and I, Jude was what, like six months or nine months or something like that? It, you know, and our relationship was great before that. And then we had our first child, and things were not very easy. Uh, and, and, you know, there's some other things going on at the time. And six months later, we're around each other all day long, but there's just a separation, right? Hey, how you doing? How you doing? Hey, I love you, love you. Good night. And then we got alone, and then we're sitting down at the restaurant, and we ordered, and, hey, the kids did, oh, oh at the time it was a kid. The kid did this. That was so cute. How was work? It was good. Man, this food's really good. <laughs> this is where most of us are with God. The only way for us to change is the only way for this to transform is for us to intentionally sit down at the table alone with God and him. That was amazing. I felt like Benny Hinn there for a second. You better watch out. Have all white suit in the back. Shouldn't have gone there. That was bad. Okay. Ugh. God loves him too. Okay. He, he loves everyone. He's, he just doesn't love the suit. That's all. Um, so this morning, I just want to invite you guys to this. You know, this idea, this this challenge. Okay. To to, to pull away from other things, from other people, so that you are drawing into God. You're not chasing Him. You're not having to please Him or you know, perform Him. He's right there with you. It's just like that friend or coworker or you know, your spouse. They're always right there. You just haven't been present enough to connect. That's the challenge for us this week. Would you guys stand with me? Now, on your Lent guide, it says this. The denial of the week, the challenge, if you would, the fasting challenge, 
is going to be our phones, social media, games. I don't know who, I'm not, I'm not sure who enjoys playing games on their phone, but some of you do. Um, that's cool, you know. If it's, uh, okay, fly fishing too, I'm sure. Um, if, it's, if it's Facebook, if it's the news, if it's Fox News, oh, I want to see who you are. If it's CNN News, right? Okay, okay, that wasn't funny. Too soon. If it's just scrolling Instagram or Twitter, just watch and see how often throughout the week you just pull it out. What you don't realize is you are withdrawing from the world every time you pull that sucker out. I started to notice this in myself. In the office, whenever I'd get that, when I'd have to call the person and have confrontation, hey, here's what's going on, we need to meet, and I have to have that terrible phone call or the meeting, or when I was at, at home and the kids were flipping out, going nuts, I would just, I'm withdrawing, but I'm not withdrawing to anyone or anything I need to be connecting to. That's isolation. So the challenge for this week is this. Every time that you would Every time you do pull that phone out or, you know, click if you, if you still have a desktop, you know, every time you do that, okay, the challenge is stop. If you have to scoot back in your chair, if you have to put your phone away, try to be present with God the best you can. If it's just silent, if you don't have any words, if it's awkward, embrace the awkward, okay? If you do have words, if you do have prayers, if you want to read scripture, whatever, but be present in those moments and you will be amazed how often every single day we withdraw to cling to someone else that's not God, it's not our spouse, it's not anyone or anything that we need to be connected to. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would search our hearts. It's, it's hard for us to look in the mirror and to see things that have been there so long. And I ask that we would see where we are hiding, where are we turning every single day? Is it making an extra stop by Starbucks or McDonald's? Is it, is it you know, just the extra hour or the extra few minutes on the phone? Is it even a book? What, where are we hiding throughout our week? And I ask the Holy Spirit that you would lead us, lead us into seclusion, lead us into pulling away so that we can be present with you.